Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's get this ball rolling. It is a Wednesday get-together on Birds 365 with Chuck, Mac and Matt. Your regular guys hanging with you. Oh, we're getting close, Johnny. It's less than two weeks less to the start of weeks. camp. Oof. Are you ready, McMullen? I got butterflies, Jody. Butterflies. Thinking we're just about whining about this schedule coming up. Don't lie to the folks. Don't start by lying to uh, the, the entire Bird Spring well, 65 uh, universe. No, the, the reason I was whining about the schedule doesn't have to do about the schedule or the work. It's because I got to do this show now. And everything, you know, conflicts, and it's it's a headache for me personally. Nobody cares about that, but I care about that, Jody. Yes, you do. I care about that very deeply. As you should. And we care about the birds very deeply. And, man, uh, we've got a topic to sink our teeth in today. Uh, Lane Johnson, we mentioned this yesterday, uh, did a appearance on several different <clears throat> media outlets, including the NFL Network, which is pretty big. And he bent over backwards to kind of sing the praises of his new head coach, Nick Sirianni, that uh, he is a leader and he makes it fun, but he's not afraid to challenge guys, specifically veterans. And if you challenge veterans and you push them, well, then the young guys are going to follow. And he was pretty complimentary of a guy who's uh, just having his first ever camp as a uh, first-time coach in the National Football League. Uh, we had heard from Jason Kelsey previously at an Eagles uh, charity gathering, and he was also pretty complimentary of Nick Sirianni. Well, we got the other side of the argument yesterday from former Penn State standout, now NFL Network reporter Michael Robinson. Sources are telling him that not everybody is having fun at Camp Sirianni and that uh, there are some questions still about the guy taking over for the first time in the National Football League, you were good enough to send this, uh, the clip from uh, Michael Robinson and the things he was putting out there. Sources telling him, not direct quotes, not names, sources telling him that not everybody loves Nick Sirianni's first camp. Uh, Yeah, I knew that this would be the first topic we'd be talking about today when you sent me the uh, clip yesterday. Yeah, I mean, and I got killed for writing about it, Jody, and understandably so. Look, there's a couple things to this. One, I think it's great that Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey are talking up the head coach. They're leaders of this team. Those are the guys that have to get on board so everybody else kind of follows. They're they're those types of players. Uh, So I think all of that is good. I also think it's common sense that some people are, are not enamored uh, with Nick Sirianni and, you know, sort of the rah-rah nature. We've talked about a lot, rock, paper, scissors. Let's be honest. Jody, look at how the fan base took the first press conference. There are a lot of people saying, what the hell is this? What what have we done? What What is this guy doing? Players are the same way. I, I mean, and I always said this about Carson Wentz, and I use this as an example with your buddy, Ricky Ricardo, last night. I was on with him. Um, 
when I said with cars, get 90 people together, get the next 90 people together. Now, maybe those 90 people all love Jody Mack. I can guarantee you. I can't find 90 that like Johnny Mack. I can guarantee you. When you have that many people, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to be on board day one. To me, that's common sense. To me, that's just common sense. I used to say it about Carson Wentz. Not everybody gets along. There, It could be stupid things. It could have nothing to do with football, personality-related. Maybe somebody likes a different kind of music, blah, blah, whatever it might be. Everybody knows this on a human level, yet the assumption is 90 guys are a monolith? It, it doesn't happen. So it's not that big of a deal. Then the second part is Michael Robinson. Michael Robinson is an ex-NFL player. NFL players talk to each other. And they talk, guess what, Jody? They tend to talk some you-know-what. And they will say things like, what is this rock, paper, scissors, blah, blah, bull, you know. I, You know, that's probably what he heard, which is not that big of a deal. But I will say this. Michael Robinson didn't wake up on whatever today is. What's today? July 14th. He didn't wake up. Tuesday, July 13th, and say, I'm going to rip Nick Sirianni today. He's not lying. People are saying, oh, Philly media. First of all, Michael Robinson isn't Philadelphia media, number one. Number two, he's an ex-NFL player. Number three, what the hell does he care about Nick Sirianni? He's just telling you what he heard from people on the Eagles. Big deal. It's not that big of a deal. He'll get a chance like everybody got a chance. Nobody liked Doug Peterson when he got hired. He won a Super Bowl two years later. He'll get a chance to win on the field and prove the detractors wrong. And if he does that, everything's copacetic. So both sides are good. Lane Johnson defending him is great. He's a leader. That's what he should do. And Michael Robinson pointing out some players are going, what the hell have we done? The same as the fans saying, what the hell have we done? I do want to uh, get your slant and yours is uh, much more important than mine here because you're a reporter. I'm an analyst. I sit back and analyze <clears throat> what I've seen, what I've heard. Uh, I don't go out and deal hands on day to day with guys. Unfortunately for you and every other reporter on the planet, the last year and a half has been pretty damn difficult because you get to talk to people via Zoom which isn't the same as doing it uh, mano a mano or person to person. Uh, but you're a reporter. Uh, yours truly is not. Michael Robinson's story is based on sources and people are telling him and he did not attach any names to the things that he was saying about the way Nick Sirianni, was, Sirianni is being viewed by his player. To Lane Johnson's credit, he came out immediately and said, yeah, stop with the BS, no names. Go ahead and name names. Otherwise, we're going to term what you're putting out there as fake news. Good for Lane, because Lane certainly put his name on it. He put his face on it. He was on camera for a bunch of the spots that he did over the last 48 hours. Uh, Michael Robinson didn't go down that road. You're a reporter. I understand what you do. I've just never done it, and I sure as hell couldn't do it as well as you do it. But from time to time, you do have to get information out there that the person doesn't want to attribute it to them, that you've got to work on background and go with sources. Tell me as a guy who's done both interviewed guys and attached their name and likeness to them. And also said, sources tell me 
which is better? Give us the breakdown between the two things because there are pluses and minuses to each. It's always better to get a name on a source, always, always. But uh, you have to be realistic about it, Jody, and the realization that everybody will put their name on anything if it's positive. They're not going to put their name on negative. Uh, there's no, you can't gain anything as a player by saying, I think this guy's a joke before you ever start uh, uh, game one. So why are you going to put your name on it? Why are you going to go? You're not that dumb. I just go back to our buddy Joe Santa Liquido because he got so much guff over his Carson Wentz story. 100% of it was true. I know most of the players he talked to, everything he said, everything he reported was completely accurate. That's what they were saying. They couldn't put their name on it because they didn't want Howie Roseman on there, you know what. That's just life. Look in politics, you see the same thing. If it's positive, everybody's running to put their name on it. If it's negative, if it's a whistleblower, it's always an unnamed source for a good reason. You can't do that. So if you're doing anything negative, there's not going to be a name on it. And if there is a name on it, it's because somebody did it with a live mic and they did it by mistake. Because nobody in this league is going to insult their own head coach. But a lot of people in this league don't like their head coach. Let's go to Le'Veon Bell in Kansas City, taking shots at Andy Reid. He didn't take shots before, he took shots after. And that's Andy Reid. That's first ballot Hall of Famer. We know, guys, there are certain guys who don't like Bill Belichick. We know that. Why does everyone assume 90 people love Nick Sirianni or have to love? It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. I, I feel, you know, if, if if you got baby years and you don't want to hear that, I'm sorry. But you have to use common sense. Everybody in this league, best coach to the worst coach, doesn't have all 90 players on board at all times. Uh, I heard this story 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whenever it was, and I would give credit where credit is due if I could remember. My bad. I apologize for not remembering it. But when I heard it, I said, damn, that makes so much sense. And it was a baseball term. You could do the same with football. You just have to change the numbers of players on the team. Uh, the line went something along the lines of this. Uh, any baseball team with their 25-man roster, chances are eight of the players love the manager. Chances are eight of the players hate the manager. And the manager's number one job is to take those eight guys in the middle, or nine, and keep them away from the guys who hate them and try and keep them with the guys who love them. That's the way it is. That's the point you're yeah. trying to make. If you think you're going 90 for 90 with all the players, you're kidding yourself. It's not going to happen because certain players are going to be higher on the totem pole and on the depth chart and ready to play. And those that are hanging on by their fingers are not going to like it if they don't think the coach is giving them a fair shake. Your point on there's no way you're going to get a 100% popularity contest winner at this stage for Nick Sirianni or any other coach in the league, Super Bowl winning coaches, is ludicrous. It just doesn't happen. But back to Michael Robinson and the fact that he went with unnamed sources, and I'm sure that he had to because otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the information. You want to speculate? 
Should we even bother speculating as no. to what? what I'm, I'm, is it I'm, too I'm, early because, to do that in Sirianni's time here in Philadelphia? Do because, we want to even? God, no, knowing knowing NFL players and Michael's an ex NFL player. It, it's not even. I. It's not even reporting. It's not even sources in the typical fashion. If somebody like like I wrote it, it's more of again players talking to each other, friends talking to each other, and sometimes it's talking trash. Uh, like, I mean, football players love to talk trash. Talk to Brandon Graham for five minutes. He'll he'll rip you to shreds and give you a hug afterwards. I mean, they like to talk trash. Uh, that's what they do. That's sort of the environment. So I guarantee you, somebody. You know, Michael Robinson's a Penn State guy. Who knows? I'm, I'm not going to throw. I don't want to throw. I shouldn't even have said that because I don't think it's Miles Sanders. Miles actually came out and 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 defended Nick Sirianni. But my point is you have this whole uh, sort of confluence of people you know and met in the league and you text and you talk and all this stuff. And somebody probably said to Michael Robinson, man, this guy's high school. Man, rock, paper, what the hell is that? Some – just innocuous, meaningless, nothing. And all of a sudden you have, well, there's some guys who were questioning Nick Sirianni. It doesn't mean anything. So, you know, other than it's an ex-NFL player telling you what current NFL players think, which I think is meaningful, and I think it's worthy of a story, but it, it's similar to Mike Lombardi, who is an ex-president and ex-GM, saying Doug Peterson is the least prepared head coach in the history of the world to take over an NFL team, and then two years later he wins a Super Bowl. In other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's common sense that certain people don't like Nick Sirianni's style. That's all this is. But here would be my only question. I, I agree with the way you're analyzing it, the way you're looking at it, and almost everything you said. It's really early in the process. Nick has had a handful, and that's all it is, a handful of gatherings of the Eagles players this year. Can't even call them practices because, come on, the, the, the drills they're doing aren't uh, going to uh, be the determining factor of whether they win or lose games this upcoming season. So it's gatherings. It's getting to know each other. It's putting uh, the beginnings of a culture together. It's pretty damn early in the process. And you've already got guys stepping out. Maybe it's just a toss something out there. Yeah, just shooting a breeze. And Michael Robinson as a reporter makes more of it than it actually was. But it's pretty early in the process for someone to be taking a stance against Nick Sirianni. Off the record as it may be. That does bother me a little bit. It, no, I shouldn't say it bothers me. It worries me a little bit. I am lifted by the fact that Lane Johnson couldn't come to Sirianni's defense quickly enough. More power to Lane standing up for his new guy. But I was a little taken aback by the fact that, damn, how many gatherings have they had? And is somebody already leaning, uh, reaching out to having a conversation with a national reporter like Michael Robinson to say, not sure that this guy's going to be able to uh, do the job. That does concern me slightly. Well, I, I would say that's part of the reason not to be concerned, Jody, and the fact that nobody can make a, a valid criticism, critique, positive or negative about Nick Sirianni as a head coach because essentially he hasn't done anything. He's had, as you mentioned, a few OTA gatherings, no pads, no nothing. So all you're doing is making a first impression 
And again, you go all the way back to the first Zoom press conference. It was a bad first impression to the fan base as well, at least to a significant majority of the fan base or a significant portion, I should say, of the fan base. It's the same thing. And that's why I say it's not that meaningful. That should only buttress that argument because nobody can make a fair evaluation of Nick Sirianni. What I can tell you is this team, the large portion of this team, has just come off a really successful era. And I think people forget that because of how bad last season was. And a lot of them tasted the Super Bowl. A lot of them went to the postseason for three consecutive years. They had a lot of success with Doug Peterson. So you have change, and you had success under the other guy, and this guy's doing things differently. Again, I go back to human nature. There's going to be some, uh, some questioning of that. And then from the other perspective, there were probably people, there are are probably people in that locker room that say, man, we just weren't prepared last year. It it all went off the rails. We had to move on from from Doug and we're excited to get a a new voice in there. It's just, it's the same. It's a microcosm of the fan base. All right. Uh, We're going to take a uh, break here shortly and uh, we're going to get our first guest up. Should be fun. Because he is always opinionated as he is in his work and his column uh, in the Inquirer. Marcus Hayes is going to hop aboard, talk some Eagles football with us. But uh, do me a favor, just get out your pen. I can do it. You're quicker than me, so that's why I'm asking you to do it. You mentioned that a good good number of the group here have had the ultimate success in winning the Super Bowl. How many are we down to? It's been three years now, and like with every football team, the – Eagles aren't, oh, my God, what a rapid turnover. They're about par with the rest of the National Football League. And there's a grind to it year in and year out that players come and players go. But I think we're grinding a little bit quicker than maybe some people realize. We're de- I, I, it's got to be less than 10, isn't yeah, it? Well, that- I, I, not only the Super Bowl. That's why I brought in the playoffs for three consecutive seasons. Because there have been more playoff participants as well. That adds to the number. You're right, but we talked about the top players under 25, Jody. It's not a great list. The stars on this team, the Lane Johnsons, the Jason Kelseys, the one defending Nick Sirianni, they were all here. True. They're stars for a reason. The Brandon Brooks, the Fletcher Coxes, the Brandon Graham, all the stars on this team were here through that and through that process. Um, the problem is they haven't been able to get the younger players going in the right direction quickly enough. And uh, the stars do uh, carry a lot of sway. I will certainly agree with you on that. But it's getting to be a smaller percentage of the roster with every passing year. So I don't know how much we can lean on that uh, going forward. As long as Fletcher Cox and Lane Johnson and uh, Jason Kelsey are still here, it's never going to disappear until guys like that have moved on. But it's not the influence that it used to be, including the head coach. And that's why we're talking about Nick Sirianni today. That is just one of the topics we're going to talk about with our first guest. Coming up next here with us is Marcus Hayes of the Inquirer on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life... 
count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Midweek edition. That'd be hump day Wednesday here on Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald here to talk about the Eagles with you. Oh, we've getting assist here. Joining us on Birds 365, the outstanding Eagles columnist. Well, she writes about everything, but uh, we got about to talk about the Birds today. From the Philadelphia Inquirer, our buddy Marcus Hayes. Marcus, are you enjoying your last couple of days before your football season starts? Every year, I, I try to schedule it. So my first week of vacation is the first week of training camp. <laughs> that way, John and all those other guys get those guys broken in for me. And, uh, <laughs> That's uh, why Marcus I, is a smart man. They're, that they're that all, first week. Yeah. By the time I show up. Yeah. You're a smart man, Marcus. You should take off that first week. Uh, but I do want to get into it. There was a little bit of kerfuffle with Michael Robinson. I'm sure you saw the comments about some unnamed Eagles uh, saying, uh, you know, some less than complimentary things for Nick Sirianni. 
to me, it's common sense that you're not going to have 90 people who love the guy immediately off the bat. There's going to be some questions. So I want to get your take on on, on how you frame that and, and how people uh, sort of went down this road of, oh, you got to protect fake news. Uh, this could never happen uh, in a locker room in the NFL. Well, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, John, we had the same sort of stuff coming out of the Doug Peterson locker room before it became a Doug Peterson locker yeah. room and the Andy Reid locker room before it became the Andy Reid locker room. So uh, it's natural for for veteran players especially to doubt the ability of untested head coaches in the NFL because it's a heck of a job. It really is. These concerns are valid. I, I'll tell you this. I'd be more concerned if the veterans didn't have – questions about Nick Sirianni and didn't question his ability to lead a team that should contend despite you know it's it's faults it's a it's a horrible division and they have talented players as you guys were you guys were discussing earlier a team that plays in arguably the toughest media town in the country if New York isn't a team whose fan base is probably the most rabid compared to the other cities who's, who have at least three and if not four sports. That's a lot for a head coach. And every single head coach who came here was astonished by all of that. So it matters more here. And the rah-rah act, a lot of these guys haven't seen that since Pop Warner. Because honestly, when you get to high school football, and you're, you're coaching future NFL players, there's no rah-rah. It's business. And Nick Sirianni doesn't seem very businesslike at this point. Mm, funny that you go there. Um, I was, and maybe it's just me that I'm Mr. Softy, unlike you hard-hitting journalists. I cut Nick Sirianni a little more slack for his first ever press conference uh, than most people. I gave him, it's like a, a rookie going out and playing for the first time. You go, yeah, but he's a rookie if he gets beat, if he doesn't play as high as your expectations are set. And that's the way I looked at Sirianni. Certainly there was enough critique and critics out there of the first ever uh, press conference or uh, press gathering that he had. He's done better since. He's improved. I actually felt better when I kind of half defended him when people were just ripping him a new orifice uh, that he has actually done better in handling himself going forward. So we've seen his ability to bounce back. This is the first time one of his players has questioned him, albeit to a third source, but one of the players have questioned him. How do you think he's going to handle it, Marcus? Will he be able to just uh, move on for it? Is, is there going to be a conversation about it when they get officially together? Does this have any impact on the beginning of camp? I'm not sure it has any impact on the beginning of camp or the overall tenor. But when you, you know, my initial reaction to your first question was, you know, how does he handle it? Well, he'll probably find the guy and play rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> and that just, that, just under, that just underscores the concern that that player would have. That, look, I don't need to be, I don't need you to test my competitiveness by playing a kid's game with me. It that you when you when you when you assert Jody that Nick Sirianni has done better, I will tell you this: rock paper scissors is going to haunt him forever. They're probably not going to win it all with Nick Sirianni. You know, I, I don't think this is a Super Bowl team within the next four or five years. 
rock, paper, scissors will be his epitaph in Philadelphia. <laughs> and that was from a subsequent press. I mean, yeah. To, to, I mean, you're talking about young men who are going to sign, you know, somewhere between, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what the numbers are, but, you know, somewhere between 30 million and, you know, $4 million contracts. And, and you're playing rock, paper, scissors with them to test their competitiveness. The, the degree of insult that is to more serious people, more serious players, is it, it's just, it cannot be overstated how trivial he made this moment sound for these players. And I think, and it's not just rock, paper, scissors. We know that. I called him Barney Fife. I said the, the Eagles <laughs> had traded uh, Barney Fife for Gomer Pyle when they got, they got rid of Doug Peterson and, and got Nick Sirianni. And, you know, uh, Gomer Pyle did fine. You know, Gomer, Doug Peterson was Gomer Pyle, all eight. Then Barney Fife might do fine too. But as you said, it, it comes down more to not who will play hard for him. Because I think guys play hard regardless because they could be out of the league the next week. But if Fletcher Cox is Fletcher Cox, you know, Jason Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks is Brandon Brooks, and Lane Johnson is Lane Johnson, a lot of the Nick Sirianni stuff and Jalen Hurts stuff goes out the window because those are the guys that are going to make this team win or lose depending on how much they have left and how healthy they are. And all of them are professional enough to look at Nick Sirianni and say, I don't care what that guy says. This is my job. Yeah. And that's sort of what Lane Johnson did yesterday. Jason Kelsey did a couple of weeks ago down the shore when he was doing uh, some charity work. Uh, they're leaders of this team, Marcus. So you expect them to step up and protect the head coach. But ultimately, as we know, this league comes down to wins and losses. So if Nick Sirianni overachieves, I, I think that's tough. Much like Chip Kelly, you know, all the ancillary stuff with Chip Kelly. It's great. But if things go badly, that's when you get the bad epitaph that you said. And you go back to rock, paper, scissors. Uh, do you feel that's the way it goes? If he's win if he wins, he's fine. If he loses, all the stuff is going to come bubbling back up. Yeah, winning winning cures all, right? Um, you can be you can be uh, Mike McCarthy and keep your job forever and be a horrible coach if you have talent around you that wins more games than you probably should despite your deficiencies. So, you know, God bless Aaron Rodgers, but, uh, you know, we've seen what Mike McCarthy is. And Mike McCarthy is not a rock guy. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that being serious gets you to the promised land. And they'll let us know if there's substance behind Nick Sirianni. That's, that's the question, right? It's not – is Nick Sirianni goofy? Is he going to give crazy, you know, pregame and halftime speeches? Are the Monday meetings and the, you know, Tuesday film and, and Wednesday install, are they going to be, you know, a clown show? It's can he communicate what he needs to be done? And will he, he and his assistant coaches be able to get that out of these players? And, you know, uh, Nick Sirianni's been been around winning teams. You know, San Diego's good when he was there. Uh, Indianapolis has massively overachieved. You know, they're on their fourth quarterback in four years with Frank Wright, and they're good. That's a heck of a statement to make. So he obviously can coach football. The difference between being able to coach football, as we've all seen, being able to instruct young men on how to be better football players and being the face of a brand, $2 billion, $3 billion, $4 brand, 
Those are two very, very different job descriptions. And they're job descriptions that both Andy Reid, Chip Kelly, well, Andy Reid, Chip Kelly, and Doug Peterson all struggled with. What's interesting is Ray Rhodes kind of struggled with it too, but he struggled with it on the other end. He was too intense. So, you know, I think by the end, Andy kind of got it and Doug kind of got it. Chip still doesn't get it. And we'll see if Nick Sirianni gets it. Yes, the coach is, at least in part, the face of the brand. But so is the quarterback. And <laughs> the Eagles are going with a quarterback we got a little glimpse at last year and did some very impressive things and did some head-scratching things as well. Marcus, a lot of national pundits have been heard from, and uh, there are more questions than there are answers and their opinions on Jalen Hurts. But he's going to be given this year – if you are going to hop on with us and tell us, no, Joe Flacco's got a real chance to play, I'll roll my eyes at you. But uh, Jalen Hurts <laughs> is going to get his chance here in Philadelphia. Is he up for the task? You know, I think it kind of comes back to where we are now in, in, in sort of evaluating Jalen Hurts. I mean, what do they gain by not naming Jalen Hurts the starter today? That to me is just mind-boggling, considering how they mis they miscalculated the psyche of the previous quarterback Carson Wentz and his sensitivities. How does this affect Jalen Hurts? I don't think it affects him much, but it's just insulting that you know you came in and you played as well as you could behind a horrible team in a, in a terrible situation, and you're not Joe Flacco might be able to take your job. So part A to answer your question tangentially. Part A is, I think he's going to handle this fine. I think he's going to handle everything fine. I believe Jalen Hurts shows up at the football field thinking, today is a bonus for me. I get to play football. My job is to, number one, Carson Wentz never figured this out, not lose the game. No athlete in all of sports except starting pitchers, maybe the hockey goalies, have the capacity to lose a game more than the starting quarterback. And I think that we've seen his ability to not to, to do that he, he's he's like donovan he won't lose you games by doing dumb stuff he will retain the ball he won't force passes he, he won't fumble if he figures that out we, we know he's had a fumble problem in the past but i believe his first directive is don't lose the game and that's big for a young quarterback i think his second directive in his mind is make plays but be smart. If that happens, this team has a very, very good chance, if it stays healthy, of winning more games than they lose. And I think that's all the, the coaching staff, the front office, and Jalen Hurts expects from Jalen Hurts this year. Jalen Hurts isn't trying to be Carson Wentz of 2017. He's trying to be Donovan McNabb of, of 2001. Marcus, I want to. You brought up an interesting uh, part of this whole narrative with this current situation. That's back to the spring of of twenty twenty when the Eagles decided to draft Jalen Hurts at number fifty three overall. And then in hindsight, we could see at least what it contributed to is the downfall of Carson Wentz. I think there were other issues as well. But I want to get your take from a front end office standpoint from. Owner Jeffrey Lurie, GM Howie Roseman, because you've been here, you've been through a lot of these regimes. How much has Jeffrey changed over the years from your perspective as far as being involved with the day-to-day -day stuff? 
going into the draft room saying we should probably take Jalen Hurts. Talking about wide receiver coaches, you should fire Carson Walls. Do you think that's changed a lot? Or guys like Andy Reid were just better politicians and could steer Jeffrey Lurie in the right direction, so to speak? Well, I think the term is called managing up, right? You, it's how you can manipulate and influence the people who are your superiors. Ray Rhodes did it with a chair and a whip, right? <laughs> he came in here. He had great bona fides. And Jeffrey Lurie and Joe Banner and other people in the front office would want to sort of influence his decisions. He came back and said, I need to help buy the groceries, you know? So there's, there's that. And then Andy Reid, once he got a footing after his second season, he was able to do the same thing. So to answer your question, John, I don't think I think this is what Jeffrey is and always has been. He's been managed up better by other coaches in the past than he was by Doug, who, you know, on a lot of levels, Doug was a really, really good head coach. On a lot of levels, he was not ready for this job and may never be ready. He may not be the kind of person who can manage up. But that's what you have to be able to do. That said, I also think Jeffrey's getting old and he's tasted success. And both he and Howie Roseman roll into the Novacare Center every day saying with, with resentment toward people who cover the team and toward the people who cheer for the team because they have been derided for so long. They've been here for what, 27, 28 years? Yeah. And they're still kind of a punchline despite winning a Super Bowl and a punching bag despite winning a Super Bowl. And I think there's a lot of resentment there. So Jeffrey has always been a compulsive meddler. There's probably no owner outside of Jerry Jones who attends more team functions than Jeffrey. Jeffrey. It may be every day that every practice can make it to. It's a... Unfortunately, we're losing Marcus's speed. We'll try and uh, reestablish uh, the connection with Marcus because he was giving us some good insights about Jeffrey Laurie. And I thought that was a good question, John, because uh, one of the things that people bring up over the course of the year will be how much is Nick Sirianni allowed to do what he wants to do? And how yeah. much will be Jeffrey Laurie dictating to him? Uh, Marcus, glad to have you back. Um, you were saying about Jeff Laurie being one of the most hands-on owners, at least when it comes to attending NFL functions and the like. Compared to the other owners in the league, he is a guy who's uh, got his grasp, I don't want to say uh, under his thumb, but has his grasp on everything going, in, uh, going on in a day-in, day-out uh, organizational way with his team. Yeah, and it's his prerogative, just like it's Jerry Jones' prerogative. But I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's healthy to have your supervisor, your, your big boss, you know, your, my publisher, looking over my shoulder while I write columns. That, to me, is not necessary. I think it's bad management. Um, but that's who he is. To answer your question, your original question, John, is he more involved? I don't think he's any more involved. He might be a little bit more vocal at this moment. But he's always kind of been a pain in the butt for the people who coach and manage the team. And um, I think in this era, we're just seeing it a little bit more. And he's done things that are – he's done things lately that are outlandish almost. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Marcus, about the fact that uh, I just double-checked. 
And Zach Ertz is still on this roster. <laughs> um, there have been members of the media who had him out of town, what, five months ago? This is the week. Zach Ertz will be an ex-Eagle. Well, it hasn't happened yet. He's still here, and we all sit in speculation of, are the Eagles holding out for a trade? Is there really any interest? If they're going to pull the plug, why not pull the plug now? Every day we get a little closer to camp, it becomes a more compelling story and one that the Eagles have to have an answer for. When are we going to get that? I'm, we're going to do the show tomorrow, and I'm going to go, Johnny Mack, another day. Jack Hurts is still here. I'm kind of getting tired. Of it, I'm sure you're getting tired of dealing with it too, Marcus. Uh, it, it's something that needs to come to a head here pretty quickly, Johnny Mack. And yeah. uh, we're, we're not getting no signs of getting any closer to a solution for this issue. And the Wi-Fi gods don't want to get us any closer to the solution. But, yeah, ultimately it's going to be interesting because I do think, you know, Marcus talked a little bit about the enormity of this job. And to be a head coach in the NFL, never never mind to be a head coach in the NFL as a whole. But in Philadelphia, and Marcus is right, and, and we got Marcus back. But he, when he was talking about this job and the enormity of the job and the fact that, uh, every coach that has gotten this job has said, man, I didn't realize I had to do this, how difficult it was, how little time they spent doing football as opposed to the other stuff they have to deal with. And there's really no experience for that job. So, Marcus, Jody was asking you about Zach Ertz. Why, if you're Howie Roseman, do you want to give – do you want to put more on the plate of a rookie head coach to deal with a player – that you've already decided you don't really want him here any longer. You know, because of Zach's profile, it's a bigger deal. But there are two or three of those players in every roster, I'd say, going into a season. And it's something that it's something that Nick has to deal with. And let's not forget that Howie, both Howie and Jeffrey Lurie have cast this season as a Oh, again. Uh, Marcus's Wi-Fi having issues, uh, so we'll we'll try and reestablish them. We may or may not be able to. Um, so, John, I'll put it to you again. Uh, Marcus can't uh, stay with us. That I'm going to ask you. You turned it into a question about it's just more work for Nick Sirianni. If you and I can agree, uh, and most of Bird Nation can agree, it's kind of heavy lifting and something Howie Roseman probably shouldn't be doing. When when are we going to get to the end of the road here? Is it going to go all the way to camp? Is it going to go past the opening day? Are we going to deal with the situation as we discussed it with Andrew Brandt last week here on Birds 365? Will they say, yeah, report, but yeah, stay in your hotel. We'll mark you down like in third grade chemistry. Uh, Bueller, 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 check. Your attendance is checked, but we prefer you not really to come to class. Is it going to come to that with Zach Ertz? You know, it, it, it is interesting. You know, on one hand, I say if you've gone this long, Jody, you might as well go into camp and wait for something and wait for that injury and, and, and try to say, you know, let's see if some desperate uh, occurrence happens across the league in Buffalo or Indianapolis or the Chargers or, or something of that nature, one of the teams that have been interested, uh, even Baltimore Green Bay, going back to um, – the teams that thought about trading for Zach Ertz. Uh, maybe it happens. Uh, the odds are against it. We always talk about 
Sam Bradford and, and what happened with Minnesota and Teddy Bridgewater, and that worked out for the Eagles so well. Uh, I, the odds are against it, as I said, but at this stage, if you've gone this far, you might as well run it out, I guess. My, I, from my perspective, I disagree with that philosophy from the beginning. I don't think they should have gotten to this point, but now that you're at this point, you know, what are you going to do? Release them? You're going to accept the fifth round pick you could have gotten months ago? I don't know. You might as well wait for what you're waiting for. Yeah, but that is going to cause some internal issues. And one of them is the present starting tight end. The guy who, even if Zach Ertz was cool with his contract and hadn't been negotiating with the Eagles to do a contract extension and was all on board with everything the Eagles were doing, there's a chance that Zach Ertz, if we're just talking about evaluating two players, what they you think they can do in the upcoming season, Zach Ertz, uh, excuse me, uh, Dallas Goddard might have surpassed Zach Ertz coming into the season. So he'd be the TE1, tight end one, the number one guy in the room. And the Eagles are also thinking about and have had preliminary conversations about extending him as well. Does that get affected at all? The, the fact that Zach Ertz is still here. There's a practicality to it because when the Eagles move on from Ertz, either be a trade or release, they will free up some salary cap for this first year. And you kind of need to know, what you're working with if you're Howie Roseman, does their dragging their feet on Zach Ertz affect the conversations they are or aren't having with Dallas Goddard about his contract extension? I, I, I think it does from the perspective of they need Zach's money. They need that eight and a half million off the salary cap because right now they only have uh, just under five million on the salary cap. So if they want to work out an extension for Dallas Goddard or somebody else, there are some other, potential extension candidates. I wrote about that on Sports Illustrated. Uh, you obviously have Derek Barnett, uh, who could you could actually lower uh, his salary cap hit this year if you wanted to work out an extension. You have Josh Sweat. You have Jordan Mailata. You have a couple players that you might want to extend, but you need some money to do that. Number one on that list, though, was Dallas Goddard. And, you know, Ed Kratz and I reported, I don't know, it must be eight weeks ago by now, the Eagles have already told Zach Ertz that if he's here, Dallas Goddard's going to be the, the tight end one. He's going to be the number one tight end. Now, that's one thing. I brought that up in the past as far as the competition mantra that we always talk about. Well, if it's real competition and Zach's here, why don't you let him compete and play out of his contract? And if he's your best tight end, he's your best tight end. Now, the Eagles have already said that we're going with Dallas Goddard. Uh, so he's going to be the second tight end. That's another reason he doesn't want to be here. Uh, all of this plays into it, though. And what Marcus was talking about is the difficulty of the job. And I talk about this all the time. So I'm glad he brought it up because Doug Peterson said it, as he mentioned. Chip Kelly said it. Um, going back to Andy Reid, he said it. Nothing prepares you for this job until you do this job. And Philadelphia more so than other markets. There are other difficult markets. New York, you, you've covered that market for a long time. But you have that split. It's kind of weird, New York, because you have that split between the Giants and Jets, whereas the Eagles are the passion of this whole area. Uh, there's some other passionate fan bases we know. But there's not a lot like the Eagles. Um, and... That job, 
with all the difficulties and all the logistics and doing it for the first time as a rookie head coach, who, oh, by the way, Jody, has no experience, at least Doug Peterson at Jim Schwartz. Boy, man, that is going to be, there's going to be a learning curve is all I'm saying. It is, and it is uh, a difficult position that he's stepping into. But I think that Nick Sirianni is a bright enough guy. And, oh, by the way, he, I'm sure, was uh, schooled by Frank Reich as to what Philadelphia is like, certainly could relate to the two bosses in place, the general manager and the owner, because they were in place when Frank Reich was there. So I don't think he came in it wet behind the ears. Oh, golly gee, what am I actually dealing with here? I think he had some pretty good uh, pre-before interview information as to what he was uh, dealing with. But the job itself, no, it's on the job learning. And yes, he's going to uh, probably have some issues at times, but he's also going to tackle some things well and handle them, even though it's his first time that he's ever doing it. Here's where I don't cut him as much slack, maybe as you and some others, that, oh, wow, what an undertaking. It's such a big job. Well, you accept that. When you became the head coach, when they offered you the job and you said yes, you had to accept all the permutations of the job. And you probably had a conversation about, although in his first press conference, we did have that whole, uh, are you in charge of the 53-man thing or not? And he said, I think so, or I'm not sure, which was disconcerting to me. He probably wants to say in personnel, and he wants to be able to put his fingerprints on how this roster is put together. So if you're going to ask for something like that, which I'm not sure that he did, I hope that he did, any coach worth his salt would want to have a pretty good say in what players are going to be on his roster on a week-in, week-out basis. If you're going to ask for that, then I think you got to assume and take under your wing all those other responsibilities that come with being a head coach in the National Football League. Granted, it's not an easy job, and it's not certainly not an easy job for a first-timer, but it's one that you have to accept. There, there's no two ways about oh, I, it. That, Jody, I agree with you 100%. I don't feel bad for him. He knows what he's getting into. He accepted this job. That's what he's going. What I'm saying is, he doesn't know what he doesn't know right now. And he probably thinks he's got a good beat on it. And then all of a sudden, something's going to come up and you're going, oh, man. <laughs> it always happens. It happened. Uh, and again, most of Jeffrey Lurie's hires, were they were all first-time NFL head coaches. At least Chip Kelly had some experience as a head coach at the college level. Um, he was the one who at least kind of understood uh, the enormity of the job. Uh but I was compared to, to being president of the United States, obviously on a much lesser scale. You have this back and forth anytime there's an election. Everybody talks, so-and-so doesn't have experience. So-and-so doesn't have – nobody has experience. Nobody has an experience. I don't care if you're a governor, a senator. That's a big difference from being president of the United States. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, that is a big difference from being the head coach of an NFL team and a head coach in Philadelphia where there's so much, so much passion put upon you. And what, and that's what Marcus brought up that I always bring up. Every one of these guys to a man, Jody, said that same thing. They said, I didn't realize, Doug Peterson specifically I'll use, I didn't realize how much time I had to spend away from football. You know, coaches love X's and O's. They love scheming. They love breaking down film. 
as the head coach, you're pulled away from that. You're pulled in 18 million different direction. As the offensive coordinator, and remember, Frank Reich is a good sounding board, but he wasn't the head coach here. He wasn't the head coach. He was close to the head coach. But guess what? He can go to his office and grind film and not have to worry about the other crap. It's a big difference, Jody. It really is. It is. And uh, that's funny that you went there because that was going to be my next question. Michael Robinson yesterday came out, threw some shade, undercut via sources that maybe not everybody's buying the Nick Sirianni act here in Philadelphia. And to help make his point, he did reference Frank Reich. Say, well, what do we really know about Nick Sirianni? The answer is not a lot because anything that was going down in Indianapolis was because of Frank Reich. Frank Reich was the head coach. Frank Reich was the former NFL player. Frank Reich was the OC of a Super Bowl winning team. So anything that happened with the Indianapolis Colts the last several years was because of the head coach, Frank Reich. He made it happen. He got the players. He talked them into coming as free agents. They changed quarterbacks a couple of times, including bringing Phillip Rivers in. It was all about Frank Reich and basically nothing about Nick Sirianni. That's what he suggested. And he might be right. You and I don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. that did go down in Indianapolis. We don't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff here in Philadelphia. So we sure as heck don't know all the behind-the-scenes stuff in Indiana. That being said, Frank Reich is where he is on the hierarchy of NFL coaches, and he has the experiences that he has. We know that he highly recommended Dick Sirianni to Jeffrey Lurie and the Philadelphia Eagles, and it was at least in part uh, part of their decision to give him the head coaching job here in Philadelphia. How much do you think Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich are talking these days? At some point, the conversation's got to stop because, yeah, Frank Reich's going to be busy too. He's head coach of the Eagles. You just did a great job of painting the picture of how much uh, day hours and days that the NFL coaches have to be on call. So you can't just get on the phone, hey, how's the wife and kids? Um, but when you do that, you're, you're also looking for some insight if you're Nick Sirianni. How much, if any, do you think he's still leaning on Frank Reich? I think quite a bit, to be honest. I mean, you know, I'm sure they're texting all the time. Um, and I'm sure he asked for Frank's advice. And you bring up a good point. Maybe ultimately that is a sounding board. Maybe he has a sounding board. He's just not in the building. Right. Uh, I think he's going to be texting Frank Reich uh, throughout the season. You know, Frank's got time to go on with Dan Cilio here on uh, Jacob Media. Uh, you know, he's got time to text his buddy. Um, yeah, it gets more hectic as you get into the season. Uh, but, yeah, just knowing the type of guy Frank Reich is, I mean, he's going to drop everything to help one of his friends. Uh, that's just who he is. Um so that, to me, is a positive, to have Frank Reich in your corner. Uh, I'm sure it'll be very helpful until the Eagles actually play the Colts at some point down the road. Obviously, things will shut off that week in any potential matchup. But, I mean, yeah, he's going he's gonna to be there. I'm, one thing I know about 99% of coaches, and I always leave that open for interpretation, they love their guys. They take pride when one of their guys becomes a head coach in their league. And everybody wants the great coaching tree. Now it's Andy Reid. Uh, everybody wants that. The Bill Walsh tree is probably the most famous of them all. Everybody wants that legacy. 
I covered Dennis Green. I always say he was the first coach in the NFL I covered. You know, he had Tony Dungy and Brian Billick, and his tree just exploded. And those guys became Super Bowl winners, and he was just so proud of that. Um, coaches love that, Jody. They love it. And Nick Sirianni is the first leaf off the Frank Reich tree. So he wants to keep an eye on it and see if he can help uh, Nick Sirianni to have success as a head coach in this league. All right. Uh, I want to put a quick question out there. Uh, first, to our streamers, the guys who are on the stream, which I don't know if you saw it earlier. You know who streamed the comment on the show today, John Mack? Barrett uh, Brooks. Our oh, buddy yeah. Barrett was Barrett. listening. Yeah. And he put up a uh, comment on the stream. So thanks to Barrett. Did uh, Barrett insult Barrett. us? Was no, it a he, nice he comment? Was, was just co yeah, somewhat adding to the conversation. It was a good streaming comment from our guy Barrett Brooks. That a boy, um, Barrett. Why was that not up, Xander? Why was uh, Barrett's comment not up? Uh, I, I noticed it, but uh, we didn't highlight it. But that's okay. Um, here's what I'm asking. Our yes, series. Barrett agreeing with me, Jody. I Every like locker room has clicks. Head coach has to build a culture. Barrett Brooks go. is right. NFL player. See? That's what I told you. I And I, I noted that Barrett is a fan and, and is here with us and hanging with us and adding to the show. And I thank him for that. I'm going to ask one other streamer and we'll get 100 responses here if we've got 100 people. Well, we could have 10 people who respond 10 times. Could still be 100 responses. I need to know something. And yeah, I get it. It's trivial. And if you tell me, just shut up, Jody, I'll take it. I, I want to know about the link. I want to know about the Carson Wentz banner. <laughs> when last you and I addressed this on the show last week, you said, Jody, I'm not going into Philly. I don't know. I've seen put, put, put up. There was a uh, big crane in yeah. front of it last week, but it hadn't officially been taken down yet. I, I have not seen visual evidence and or heard from anybody anywhere as to whether it is still adorning the side of Lincoln Financial Field. Maybe I'm a nitpicker. Maybe I'm a guy who carries a little bit of a grudge. But Carson Wentz is no longer here. He's moved on. The Eagles have moved on from him. We talk all the time about Jalen Hurts and what Jalen has to achieve. What's well, kind of hard to achieve with the old quarterback outside with his face plastered to the side of the stadium that you're going to be playing in. Well, poor Carson Wentz had to play with a Nick Foles statue. Right. Yeah. Well, I, and Let's I Jalen Hurts play with a Carson Wentz banner. Damn I, it. I, I decried that. Which, which, oh, by the way, Carson's banner is about what? Eight times the size of the statue and size right. does matter. My wife has been telling me that for years. No, size does she tells matter. Me it doesn't matter. I would think. She would tell you it doesn't matter. Well, I don't know. No, she told me size does matter with a smile <laughs> on her face. But I digress. Um, I need someone to tell me. If you're going by, if you've been by, when you went by, when was the last time you did go by, is that banner still up there? Because uh, I get it. It's not like they're going to just go out with a uh, scissors and cut it down. It's, it's that big. It's that huge. Yeah. It's probably going to do some uh, actual work to be able to take it down. Right now, it's about his price. Zach Ertz is still here. He's still under contract. They haven't cleaned up Zach Ertz. What the hell are you doing? At least get that banner down. So I'm yeah. asking someone from the stream if they're in South Philadelphia, if they've been by the uh, Lincoln Financial Stadium lately, if you can give us an updated uh, informational piece on whether the banner is still up. 
I know I'm obsessed with it, John. Yeah. And I apologize I'll let you to know you. It's July 28th, but I'm not going in there for a special trip to see if cars. I'll let you know July 28th. Hopefully we know before that. Well, we'll see if anybody on the stream has got the answer to that question. When we come back, my specific question to you is going to be before we punch up our next guest, Jeff Kerr from CBSSports.com, who's been good with us on the show before. Who are the two most overrated Eagles coming into the season this year? Overrated Eagles. And I don't think you're going to like my answer. And I don't know if I know know you're not going to like my answer because... uh, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, I, then I probably can figure where you're going. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to like it a little bit. But uh, there's a specific reason that people will probably not like my answer for the two most overrated Eagles coming into the season. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, we are your Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. Stay with us. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Chris. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Rousey, every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. 
This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Hey, Mac, do it, John. Birds 365 with my partner. Appropriately enough, J Mac. Uh, we're a couple of J Macs hanging with you. I'm Birds 365, McDonald and McMullen. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff Kerr from CBSSports.com going to join us in less than 20 minutes from now. All right, John, before we took a break, I asked you, in your eyes, who are the most two overrated Philadelphia Eagles? And you can define overrated for yourself. And no, your definition might not match my definition. There are different ways to get to your definition of overrated. So your answer, I can tell ahead of time, although partially misguided, uh, will not be wrong. No, because... I, I, I'm not going Craig Ward. I'm not oh, going Craig Ward. I, that's I, where I, I thought you were going, by the no. way you teased it. Because I don't think he's over, uh, overrated. A little bit with uh, certain segments of the fan base. Certainly, if I were saying, who does Jody Mack overrate the most, I might say Craig Ward. Okay, But enough. overall, look, one guy, and I, I've said this pretty consistently, it's not necessarily nationally because you're seeing where national people place him now is Miles Sanders. And, but I have some positivity with Miles Sanders because he seems to recognize that he's got things to work on. And I think that's very positive uh, because, you know, I I've gotten killed online and, and Twitter, you know, part of this is, is personal and the fact that, you know, people attack me for saying, well, he's really not close to people like Galvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey. That's not an insult. It's just no. reality. And and people are he's better than that. I'm like, what? Where you got? You guys are way overrating this player. So that would be one. But I think he's got a chance to have a nice bounce back season. I don't think he's ever going to be like those guys. But I think he's a good player. He's just overrated. And then the second one. And again, I frame this more as the fan base overrates him as Jordan Mailata, who I love personally, and I root for, and he's the greatest guy in the world. And I think it comes from, and Jordan's a little bit weird too, because he's got his, he's got his real big fans in, in sort of the punditry world as well, the Brian Baldingers, the Ross Tuckers, uh, who, who Ross has been on the show. Um, and those guys played offensive line. The thing about Jordan, his spectacular plays are spectacular. He's so strong and he's so athletic. And his highlight real plays, if you can have highlight real plays for offensive linemen, like we always see Quentin Nelson, people say he's porn for offensive linemen. Jordan Mailata, when he has those big plays, is sort of like that. But the consistency isn't there. The, the, the wild gesticulations his his good plays are great and his bad plays are really really bad and that's why i think andre dillard's ultimately going to win the job if he's healthy see i base my uh overrated underrated more so on 
the likes of the national pundits who are putting forth opinions and giving lists as to where guys rank in the lock. Like no, no knock on Eagles fans. We, we love the Eagles fans. That's why we do the show is because we know how massive the fan base is in this town for this football team. But I think they're biased. I think they come in. Oh with, yeah. With a, no question. Yeah. I mean, with an but it's attitude. Understandable. Yeah. Right. They're not starting from ground zero. They're starting from way to a side with eagle colored glasses on. So if a guy is overrated in the minds of eagle fans, I kind of roll my eyes and go, yeah, that's pretty much a given. If he's wearing green, he's going to be overrated. Yeah, there are the naysayers and then those who look for negative. That's a percentage, small percentage of every single fan base. But the majority of the Eagle fan base is rah, rah, go birds. Uh, so I don't use them as the same barometer as a national guy. I think we got great local media guys, you being one of them here in town, which try and keep it unbiased, yet can give you a uh, realist, realistic evaluation of what kind of a player a player with uh, an Eagle uniform on is, but I also like the national perspective because yes, they're not as effective. They're not reading Eagle Twitter on a day in day out basis. So you're going to be able to get their opinion. Sometimes I think they can just be flat out wrong, but I'll, I'll give them their credit because it's an unbiased opinion. Here's my, and I'm trying to stay unbiased dear Eagle fans. And you'll probably believe that because you're probably not going to want to hear what I want to say. When you ask a question about overrated you know, you go a negative anyway, so sorry about it. Deal with it. The two guys who I think are the most overrated coming into this season are the two guys that are probably on top of the list of players that the Eagles are considering to sign extensions with. Ooh. And a lot of times this comes down to where are they in their contract? how much time is left in their contract, where the Eagles drafted them, whether they want to take that next step forward and extend them and make a commitment to them and the like. Yeah, I'm not sure the Eagles are well-placed in doing a contract extension with either one of these guys. Now, of course, if it's a team-friendly contract, then you do it with anybody. But assuming this is going to be a fair comparison to other players who have achieved what they've achieved, in the league type contract, I don't know if I would do it with either one of them. And I'm referring to, if you haven't been able to figure it out, Dallas Goddard and Derek Barnett. Both of them high draft picks for the Eagles. Both of them at times have made plays for Philadelphia. But if you ask me, with where they were taken in the draft and the numbers that are being thrown out, I don't know that I would look to extend either of these two players. Dallas Goddard the last year, and I know that he missed some time, and I know that Zach Ertz was still here, although we were seeing a decrease in the amount of what Zach was capable of doing and uh, the amount of plays that he had last year because he had injuries too. Um, he was 16th in the league in tight ends, receptions, and 16th in tight end yards. That's just barely in the top half of tight ends. If you got a guy who's barely in the top half of his position in the league, are you running out to extend him and lock him up and make sure that he's part of your team going forward if you've got to pay him? Because we're at that point where the guys really need to get paid. You sign your rookie contract. You've got cost control if you're the organization. 
you get to the point where they have the ability to get free and you have to make a decision. How high are we willing to go? I don't know how high I'm willing to go with Dallas Goddard. And even more so, I'm probably more okay with extending Goddard than Derek Barnett. I've seen enough of Derek Barnett. I, I, I know what my opinion of Derek Barnett is. He's an okay defensive lineman in the National Football League. That's all he is. I, I can't even bring myself to get to good. For me, there's great, there's very good, there's good, there's average, there's slightly below average, and there's what the hell is he doing on the team? Well, for me, I'm not even to good for Derek Barnett. He's a slightly above average defensive lineman, and depending on how much they have to pay him, I'd pass on extending Derek Barnett. What are your thoughts on those two guys? I'd love when I get the chance to be the positive guy. So I I don't agree at all with Dallas Goddard. Uh, I mean, he is just a really, really good player. Now, part of this is evaluation. And the second thing is, but Dallas knows he has a big opportunity this year. And he's gotten in the best shape of his life as well. I think he's maturing. So part of it is evaluation. Well, you bring up the numbers. I think he missed five games last year, maybe somewhere in that range. And also, uh, again, Zach Ertz was here when he was healthy. Uh, now, a lot of it, and that's a fair criticism, the best ability is availability. you got to be on the field. If you're not on the field, you're not on the field. You can't help. But it's also you have to be realistic and say, well, if he was on the field, those numbers probably increase. But also – He's such a great blocker, and there's so few guys who can do both. You know, there's George Kittle, a couple other guys. And and Dallas is in that conversation where you can move him in line. He's not a glorified flex receiver. So many of the modern tight ends are really just king-size receivers. He can do both things, and I think that helps your offense a lot to be able to do a lot of different things. And that's why the Eagles, and I think rightfully so, are very high on him as a player. Uh, but no question, it's it's partially evaluation-based. And then Derek Barnett, I, I, I hear your argument on Derek Barnett. I think it's a more valid one. A lot of the same criticisms. you got to be on the field, number one. I, I'm a little bit – I think he's performed a little bit better when he is healthy and on the field than you do. Um, I'm not as big as a sack guy as other people uh, because I think – you know, it's sort of like wins for a baseball pitcher. I think what that's one of the most overrated stats. I I always go back to the the NFC Championship game and Chris Long's play that resulted in the Patrick Robinson's pick six. If he actually gets home and sacks Case Keenum, well, the Vikings punt the football. Who knows what happens from there? But the fact that he got there and he affected the throw resulted in an inter- interception. Uh, Patrick Robinson takes it to the end zone. The noise in that building, Jody, that you could hear across the river in the South Jersey, it literally, that's the first time I could literally point to a, an exact moment of an NFL game and say they just ripped the heart out of the opposition, all because Chris Long didn't sack the guy. He just affected the throw. So, and Jim Swartz would talk to me about that all the time. A lot of good things can happen with a good pass rush. Getting sacks is great. It's never a bad thing, but it's not the be-all, end-all. I think Derek Barnett is a good player when he's healthy. The problem is he's never healthy. So you do have to make that conversation. And with him, it all comes down to money. I'm not going to overpay him. 
But if I can get a, a, an extension that lowers him from his current $10 million because he's on the final year of his rookie contract, you could do a lot worse than Derek Barnett. But I'm not comfortable saying he's going to be on the field all the time because he's not proven he can stay on the field. So I hear your argument there. I quickie question on the, the the branching out that you did about the Chris Long play in the uh, NFC Championship game. Who decides during game day statistically what's a hurry? Because there are sacks, there are quarterback hits, and there are hurries that are registered in the National Football League. Who decides what's a hurry? Well, the NFL has a stat crew at every game, and that's when you see the the, the play-by-play, and they have something called uh, NFL Jesus, which is game stats in stadium for media. Um, and, you know, they have a whole crew doing that kind of stuff. Now, hurries is – it's not an official stat. You know, Pro Football Focus does it as well. Some of these other advanced stats – it's basically like anything else. You have official scores, and they decide. Now, there's a time. Well, wait, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. So you're telling me it's an NFL employee, but it's not an official stat? That no, doesn't seem to add up to me. Stat. It's not an official stat. Uh, teams do it. Sometimes coaches do it. Coaches film. They'll go over their own film and have their own stats. A lot of times when you see press releases in the NFL, tackles – for years, you will see the NFLcomp.com number, which is technically the official number, um, and you will see teams who who accumulate stats during the coaches film, and they will be different because they do it differently. So, you know, sacks, for instance, if it, it, you bring up this at a good point, this week Pro Football Reference just unveiled their research. For years ago, where Deacon Jones was the greatest sack master in the NFL and arguably the greatest sack master of all time, it wasn't an official stat back then. So nobody knew how many sacks Deacon Jones had. Right. Uh, they went back and did the homework and watched the film and figured it out. Um, I think 82 maybe is when it became I, – I don't even know. Uh, when it became an official stat. Uh, so – I mean, football, and I've been saying this for years because of analytics and baseball. I mean, baseball is a stat-driven game. You know, it's pitcher versus batter. You can do so many different things. Football is not a stat-driven game. It really isn't because you're affected by so many other things. Uh, Your teammates, they call it the ultimate team game for a reason. And then people say, well, he had these stats and this stats. And they look at Lynn Swan and John Stallworth and Joe Namath and Ken Stabler. He doesn't have stats as good as Sam Bradford. Well, you don't understand the game if you're saying stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's not a stat-driven game. You are right on a couple of different <clears throat> levels, the biggest one being baseball. It's mano a mano. It's the pitcher yeah. against the, the batter. Uh, football, it is. It's 11 guys against 11 guys, and sometimes stats don't actually fit. And paint a proper picture of any uh, given play. All right, we're going to paint a picture with our next guest, Jeff Kerr from CBSSports.com, scheduled to join us. Had a great article on CBSSports.com yesterday. The coaching quarterback duos in the National Football League. 
And don't worry, Eagle fans, the Eagles aren't involved in this because they got a new coach and a new quarterback. It's guys who have been in place and were in place last year that Jeff Franks will have some fun with Jeff Carr. CBSSports.com next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Wednesday get together on Earth. Three sixty-five with the Macamac guy, Mullen and McDonald. Oh, we've got a visitor here to Bird Street 65. He has uh, brightened our door before, and we're glad to have him back on the show. Jeff Kerr from CBSSports.com. Hops a boy with us. How's your summer going, Jeff? Uh, it's going pretty good, Jody. Uh, just came back from a month off and you know, ready for the NFL season at this point. 
Got to wrap it up, and it's list season, Jeff, and I want to give you credit because you had one of the best lists. I'm not a big list guy, but people love them, and I think yours was uh, really inventive, really good, because you rated the quarterback coach tandems, and I think that's more important than just the quarterbacks, just the coaches. So I want to compliment you to start, but I also want to rip you with number 10. How could Jimmy Garoppolo be in the top 10 of anything, Jeff Kerr? Even with Kyle I did put it as as a first sense. How could you put Jimmy Garoppolo on this list? And it it was pretty much who was going to beat those two out compared to what they've accomplished so far. Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy, if they would have played the whole year last year together, I think I would have put them on. Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer, I was on the fence about, and Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray just didn't win enough. So I just kind of went to my top 10 list from the year before and said, you know what? I got to give these two credit. The 49ers were terrible without Jimmy G last year, and they'll probably be off this list by week two or week three if I update it because Trey Lance will probably be the starting quarterback. And I'll give you one that's going to be rapidly going up that list. You just mentioned them. You left them off the list. Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are going to have a nice year this year. They are going to be my upset choice in the NFC West. I think people are well underrating them, including Jeff Kerr before the season starts. But I digress. Uh, I, I'm actually that, a big uh, Kyler Murray fan, <laughs> believe it or not. So okay, so so that, that two plus two equals four. You're not a Cliff Kingsbury fan. If you are a Kyler Murray fan and they're not on your top ten list, you don't like the coach there in Arizona, huh? I, I'm still on the fence about him. There were a lot of things Cliff Kingsbury did last year I didn't like. I think he's a decent coach. It's one of those where I thought Cliff Kingsbury was Kyler Murray's biggest uh, deterrent last year. I thought he threw him way too much, you know, just tried to rely on that offense way too much. It was kind of like Andy Reid with Donovan McNabb at the 2000 Eagles. I mean, he he. the only difference is – they had a choice. They had receivers. They had a decent running back in Kenyon Drake. They had a good offensive line. And what does Cliff Kingsbury do? Oh, my quarterback has a shoulder injury, which he repeatedly denied multiple times, including to me, and yeah. pretty much just went, yeah, I'm going to throw him 40, 45 times a game, and I'm going to run him about another 10 to 15 times a game, basically until his body just deteriorated in week 17. The Cardinals should have been a playoff team last year. Uh, they were good enough to make the playoffs last year. As a matter of fact, they played John Wolford in week 17 last year. They should have made yeah. the playoffs, and Kyler Murray got hurt, and that was the end of that. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Jeff, because people forget Kyler Murray was hurt. People forget how well Kyler Murray was playing before that shoulder injury, and then it went downhill, and that's my concern. I've said that with Jody. Look, the kid's not big, and the way uh, Cliff Kingsbury plays that offense with five wides, he's getting hit all the time, even though he's obviously uh, very skilled to avoid the rush. I'm concerned that he's not going to be a long-term fixture in this league because of the way they play offense. Am I off base there? No, I don't think so. And I love Dan Arnold when he was with the Cardinals. And, of course, what do the Cardinals do? Oh, we're going to let him go to Carolina. We're not even going to sign him. We're going to run it back with Max Williams. And that's a terrible move for them. Look, I love how they added Rondell Moore. I think he's going to be really good in that offense. I love the A.J. Green signing for them. Um, Andy Isabella is – pretty much an afterthought there. And he had a really good rookie year for them as a deep threat. 
Uh, they have the weapons. They have the offensive line. I, I think they have the defense that's more than good enough to compete. Uh, Vance Joseph finally got those man corners, if you will, and Malcolm Butler and them, uh, Drake Kirkpatrick. I think Drake Kirkpatrick's still there. I got I to gotta double-check that. But Malcolm Butler's there now. So I like that. I think the Cardinals should go to the playoffs this year, but yeah, I mean this year, but you're right. This is what I worry about with this team. Is Kyler Murray going to be healthy enough for the whole year? And I thought Brent Huntley was a good enough backup for them last year, but of course he, you know, again, it's just this team revolves around Kyler Murray. And if he's only a five or six year fix, then why'd you waste a number one overall pick on him if you're going to get him killed? My uh, crystal ball tells me Kyler Murray stays healthy all year long. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. It's a little fuzzy, but that's my crystal ball as of right now. Uh, here's what I liked uh, so much about your article on CBSSports.com, uh, Jeff, about the combos between the quarterback and the coaches. You started off by putting your choices from last year right there for everybody to see. Take a look at what I said last year. And then you go through this year's life. So, so good on you for saying, let's cop these two things. Number five last year, Carson Wentz and Doug <laughs> Oh, Peterson. I still laugh about it. Oh, that one's kind of gone by the wayside. Divorce, as big a divorce as you could possibly have. Neither of the two individuals still here. I didn't see it. You didn't. I'm not. I'm kind of poking yeah. fun. I'm pimping you. Why would they be number five? It isn't like I predicted this right. to happen, yeah. but man, it went bad here in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, that was the funny thing, Jody. And I think that's why I got so upset over the whole Carson Wentz, Doug Pearson thing last year was because when I wrote that piece, that duo was a legit top five duo in this league. If you looked at their success, you know, going to the playoffs every year, Carson Wentz was so integral in that team going to the Super Bowl. I mean, really, if Carson Wentz is healthy the whole year, I probably could have made a case they were top three just based on how young he was and what Doug Pearson was doing. Not too many Eagles coaches go to the playoffs three consecutive years and even win a playoff game at back-to-back years. And Doug Pearson did that, and those two just fell off the rails. I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know if it was Carson Wentz as a practice guy in the practice time. You know, from the stories you hear about the locker room, I mean, John knows it's just so frustrating what transpired there. And all because the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts like you were that – insecure about your job you had to worry about this like if I was Carson Wentz I would have walked in that locker room last year and put my ego up and say look I'm Carson Wentz I should have been the MVP three years ago I'm the best quarterback in football this little kid ain't gonna beat me out for a job and he did the exact opposite and everybody hated the Aaron Rodgers comparison but it was very fair Aaron Rodgers didn't even let Jordan Love sniff the field last year yeah and by the way Aaron Rodgers did exactly that he said oh you want to trap that? I'm going to go win the MVP. And then afterwards, you rip the general manager and say, what the hell are you doing? That's what Carson That's Wentz what Carson should have did. Taken. I think everybody in this city would have yeah. supported him. Yeah, they certainly would have when it comes to Howie Roseman. But, yeah, yeah, nobody should have criticized you for having Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson at number five. But I do think it, it's a good example of how quickly things move, can move in the NFL. And also on the list from last year was Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Now, you look at those two players, and obviously they were one, two. So there's the irony of that in the same draft. $33.8 million for Carson Wentz. That's what the Eagles ate. $22.2 million, I think, was the number the Rams ate for Jared Goff. And these were two top 10 quarterback coach tandems 
coming into the league. And as I said, you weren't wrong. So I I, I do want to talk to the, the thought process that everything stays in sort of a stasis in this league when it comes to star players. It's just not the way it is. Things move so quickly. So when you looked at this list, was there any younger group that you thought they're going to break through? There's a chance that they're going to be high on this list next year. Well, definitely one, if they make a run, Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. And I've been arguing with the Kevin Stefanski haters for pretty much a year now. I'm like, you guys do know this Browns team wasn't that great last year. Like overall, I thought they had a below average defense. I thought they, the running game carried them. Baker Mayfield was a really good game manager. They had injuries across the board. I didn't think they were going to do what they did last year. And when, I looked at the expected win rate when I was just going through analytics and stuff. They were supposed to win seven games. They were supposed to be seven to nine if you look at their numbers. And they ended up winning 11 in a playoff game, their first road playoff win as a franchise since 1969. That's coach of the year material to me. And now they are talented. They got Odell Beckham back. They still got Nick Chubb. They still got Kareem Hunt. The offensive line's better. The defensive line's better. Uh, Miles Garrett's arguably the best pure pass rusher in the league. Uh, it, it, you know, not named Aaron Donald, I should say, but <laughs> it's one of those where if Cleveland doesn't go to the divisional round of the playoffs this year, I'm going to be concerned about them. And I think that Cleveland Browns fans should be hype about that. And same with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. I think those two can get that much higher and all they have to do is go to the AFC championship game again, because that's how high of a pedestal I put Josh Allen on last year. I thought he was tremendous. I think McDermott has done wonders in Buffalo. If there's two um, duos on this list, I think that can crack the top five. It's those two. Want to uh, check your list in one other aspect and uh, maybe I just don't understand it. So I'm going to have you explain it to me. I get the fact that it's a snapshot 12 months ago. You snapshotted where teams were at, where the league was at, where this quarterback and uh, coach combination fits. And now you're doing it the same with all the changes. Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, shockingly not on the list, uh, 12 months later. Last year, at number 10, going into the season, you had Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. Uh, certainly Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP is going to move him up the list. But, oh, by the way, he wants out in the worst way. If you're going to factor everything in, both what he accomplished during the year and what's transpired since, it, I guess it's more so. Why were Rodgers and LaFleur only number 10 last year? Because you got them way up the list this year coming in, and we don't even know if they're going to be together by the time the season opens up. Why was Rodgers and LaFleur number 10 last year? So I brought up this when I was making the list. How high did I want to put those two? And I said, you know what? In my heart of hearts, Aaron Rodgers is going to be in Green Bay this year. I just don't think he's going to go anywhere. And I looked at it as, well, right now, he is a Green Bay Packer. And right now, he is with Matt LaFleur. And I had him at 10 after their first year. One of my main reasons was when I did it, and I wrote, I just need to see more. 13-3 and three is awesome. Uh, you know, NFC Championship game is awesome. And it wasn't a knock on Aaron Rodgers. It was a knock on 
Matt LaFleur, you know, was this a one-year wonder? Was this guy, you know, okay, it was a new system, something fresh, you know. Is Green Bay going to be this good again? And they ended up being the number one seed and actually blowing the NFC Championship game. I, you know, I thought they were going to beat Tampa Bay and actually play Green Bay, I mean, uh, Kansas City in the Super Bowl. And they didn't, but I still felt because of what Carroll and Wilson did at the end of last year and – Pearson and Wentz being off, uh, Drew Brees retiring, so there went Drew Brees and Sean Payton. And, you know, I knew there was going to be a change of the guard there. Goff and McVay are out. Uh, Garoppolo and Shannon were going to go down. I'm like, you know what? I got to do it. These guys got to be in the top three. I mean, they went to back-to-back NFC Championship games. The only team to do that was the Chiefs. And you could easily argue they could have been in consecutive Super Bowls. So I said, you know what? Two years is enough. 26 wins between the two of them. That's the most in the league. I had to do it. I mean, sorry, second most in the league. I had to do it. it. You know, I had to put them up that high. So it was pretty much, okay, these guys are going to rise up. And, but yet, was number 10 low last year? I, I thought it was kind of fair, I, you know, just based on the small body of work. And that's kind of like what I did with Mayfield and Stefanski this year. But I was like, okay, good start. Let's see if you guys can move up. Jeff, you kind of mentioned uh, Mayfield and Stefanski a couple times there, and I'm with you. I think Kevin is a really good coach. I'm not as high on Baker Mayfield. I, I told you I'm not high on Jimmy Garoppolo. So when you go through this process, how much can the coach elevate the quarterback and how much can the quarterback elevate the coach? Because I think Aaron Rodgers has been elevating – a couple of coaches over the years, including Matt LaFleur. I'm not as high on Matt LaFleur as most people. How much does that dichotomy can shift to your thought process and how much can a coach help the quarterback and vice versa? I think, honestly, it just depends on the duo. Like you said, John, um, Kevin Stefanski, I think, elevated Baker Mayfield tremendously. And it's kind of awkward. And I know no one from that 2018 class has been signed yet, but it's kind of awkward how Cleveland has pretty much took this approach of wait and see with Baker Mayfield this year. Can this guy do this again? And if he does do it again, are you going to pay him what a number one draft pick from 2018 should make when you know Lamar Jackson's been better? You know Josh Allen has been better. How much does this guy make? Are, are you know Is this game of poker right now? Who's going to, you know, bluff for or, you know, Blackjack, you know, who's at 16 right now and wants to go up? That That's what I'm concerned about with Baker Mayfield. I don't even know if he's going to be the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns in two years. So, you know, that definitely had a lot to do with Stefanski. But I was looking at Mayfield's numbers last year. And I'm like, you know what? He's done a lot for that franchise. And I took a lot of that into account. Like, when is the last time the Cleveland Browns have had a steady quarterback? Can, can we name one since 1999? Uh, Tim, Tim Couch is probably the last quarterback that's probably been starting there more than – three years, it's kind of concerning. So I think Baker Mayfield and the impact he's made on that franchise has done a lot for them, even though he may not be the long-term answer. But it was definitely more uh, lean towards Stefanski. But for the quarterback perspective, I always looked at it as, you know, uh, obviously the top five both are really strong, like Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, the, those guys. I mean, uh, Rodgers on the floor was the, the one controversial one. But, you know, I can't argue against – results and results put them as high as they were. And, you know, which Sean McDermott, and Josh Allen, I know McDermott doesn't technically call the plays, but he's 
been with Josh Allen from day one and look what they've done. Two playoff appearances, you know, two playoff wins. It's, you know, an AFC championship game appearance. Buffalo actually looks like a Super Bowl contender. They should be a Super Bowl contender this year. I, you know, I factor a lot into it and can it be inconsistent at times? Yeah, but I, I, I like to make my point of what this quarterback has done, what this coach has done and why they are where they are. Jeff, I do like the unique aspect of combining the two quarterback and coach. But they are separate entities, and they certainly were not even a consideration for you because you made your list as uh, what they've already accomplished. So first-year coaches and or quarterback wouldn't be looked at. Uh, I like it. But we will look at both of these guys throughout the entire year, and we'll have an evaluation of them at the end of the year. We got a sneak peek of Jalen Hurts last year for a couple of games at the end of the season. We have no idea what kind of head coach Nick Sirianni is going to be in the league. We can go back and judge some of the things that the Indianapolis offense was before he got the job here in Philadelphia. But here's my question for you. Crystal ball stuff. And I told you, my crystal ball is good. Kyler Murray is going to play all 16 games this year. But I need you to look in your crystal ball. At the end of the year, we're going to have rankings of both the head coaches in the league and the quarterbacks in the league. Whose number is going to be lower? Jalen Hurts compared to the other 31 quarterbacks in the league or Nick Sirianni is compared to the other 31 coaches in the league? I think Nick Sirianni is going to get the most out of Jalen Hurts. And I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a solid, if not spectacular year, but I think it'll be good enough to warrant bringing him back as Eagles starter in 2022. Unless you can get some ultra quarterback, you know, if the Eagles go, say, 8-9 and nine this year, which is where I predicted them to go, I, I think that's good enough to retain Jalen Hurts, and I think that's Nick Sirianni overachieving as a head coach. So I think at the end of the year, I think we're going to see like Nick Sirianni maybe top 20 of head coach list, but I still think you're going to see your Jalen Hurts haters, you know, the Chris Simses of the world or the hot take artists who say, oh, you know, he doesn't have an arm and he doesn't have to. I think that's what's going to surprise people this year. Jalen Hurts is going to have an arm, and Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager are going to make sure of that. You know, uh, Jeff, every every time I see Aaron Rodgers' numbers, I'm, I'm in awe. Uh, I'm just in awe. And you put the quarterback numbers up. And, you know, what was it last year? I'm trying to put 48 and 5, 48 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. It's I, insane. I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable. And I know I, I wrote a story myself. Carson Wentz had 15 interceptions last year. And 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 Jalen Hurts, I think, had four. Uh, so you had two starting quarterbacks. So you go back 2020, he had five interceptions. 2019, he had four. 2018, he had two. 2017, he had six. You can go back four seasons to get to the number of interceptions from Aaron Rodgers, the Eagles quarterbacks threw last year. That's how good this guy is. My question to you is. If Aaron Rodgers is someplace else, and he would be most likely in Denver, where Big Bangio is a defensive coach, how 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 quickly does that tandem get in the top five? How quickly does Aaron Rodgers and Ron Rivera? How quickly does Aaron Rodgers and Jeff Kerr? How quickly is Aaron Rodgers and John McMullen get in this top five? This guy is so above everybody else, I got to put him number one. That's my only argument with your list. 
no matter who he is, no matter where he is. Yeah, and you know what, John, you make a great point. And honestly, I've considered it, but you know, it, it's not. I can't blame Aaron Rodgers for pretty much anything on Green Bay. I, I think the only concern for me is I look at his NFC Championship game numbers, at least since he beat the Bears, and I'm like, how did this happen? Like, how does this guy lose so many NFC Championship games? Does he try too hard? Does he just not have the weapons? He does have the weapons. He has Aaron Jones. He has Devontae Adams. You know, it, it, everybody wants to get on Alan Lazard and Marcus Valdez Scantling and Robert Tanyan, but they're decent receivers, and, you know, they're better than anything Tom Brady had in New England those last couple of years, and Brady found a way to make it work. And Maybe the Packers' defense isn't good enough. I, I don't know. It's it, it, that's going to be one of the biggest mysteries to me if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get a second Super Bowl. Just And like you said, John, just look at the numbers. The guy has thrown, what, a total of 15 interceptions over the last, like, four or five years. It's criminally insane. And, you know, when he throws a couple in the NFC Championship game where he fumbles the ball, I'm like, whoa. You know, if I'm using winning as a precursor here to success, you got to – put that into account. And I mean, normally if I had to rank the quarterback, just strictly the quarterbacks, I'm like, okay, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes are, they're one and one a, or, you know, Mahomes and Rodgers are one and one a. And after that, it's uh, okay. But then when you're doing the quarterback head coach duos, you're going to be like, okay, so how much does Matt LaFleur bring him down? How much does he raise him up? Well, he doesn't raise him up. So I look at it as I, I was really concerned with Matt LaFleur in the NFC championship game last year. He just didn't look like the same coach, that he was throughout the season. And I, I am the biggest criticizer of the NFC North. I think it is the weakest division in football every single year. I think the Bears are <laughs> wow. normally a joke. I think the Lions are a joke. And the Vikings are the Vikings. So I'm like, well, okay, when you get those bottom feeders to feed on every year, it's you're going to win a lot of games. But, you know, I can't, I can't argue with the results between the two. But then when they start playing the big boys, you know, Tampa Bay or um, – you know, who went to the Super Bowl the year before? Uh, for, uh, I shouldn't call him a, a, a big boy, but San Francisco, you know, right. they were really good in 2019. I just feel like Green Bay shouldn't lose to teams like this, and they keep finding ways to do it. We suggest everybody check out Jeff's work at CBSSports.com. Certainly this article that, that uh, brings forth a lot of debate on quarterback-coach combos. But I also got to give you credit for your previous article, which was about a Philadelphia Eagle legend. Harold Carmichael, who just was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the headline grabbed my attention, and I said, wait a minute, what the hell are they talking about? Harold Carmichael said when he was uh, getting inducted the other day that I might not have been drafted when I came out of college with the NFL the way that they played. I said, what are you talking about? He's the greatest receiver in the history of the Eagles. Of course he would be drafted. Well, he was a seventh-round draft pick back then, and the way that both you and Aaron laid it out was right on point, that the game had changed drastically. A guy of my age, I certainly remember Harold Carmichael like was yesterday and watch his entire career, but you don't realize that the game has changed drastically and Harold would have been a different player at his size with his capabilities in the NFL today. Personally, I believe Harold Carmichael would still be a star. And if he wasn't drafted, he would have shown up in somebody's camp. He would have played and he would have said, damn, we got to sign this guy. Uh, but it was a very unique way of looking at things. And Harold kind of said it without even batting an eye that he actually believed he wouldn't have been drafted. Did that just make your eyes roll the same way it did for me when I read your article? Jeff? Yeah, I was, 
I was kind of surprised because once the illegal contact rule came to place, his numbers skyrocketed. Like he had three thousand yard wide receiver seasons, and he was one of the best wide receivers from seventy eight to eighty one. Like it, it was, he was a good receiver and became a great receiver those years. And you saw the Eagles' offense just take off as a result. I mean, he was so integral in them making a Super Bowl. So I'm like, wait a minute. And then you know, then when he said it, I was like okay, yeah, he's right because they look at speed, speed, speed today, and he just did not have speed, and he admitted that. You know, he said, well, I ran four sixes, and they became four fives because I was tall, and anything within three inches I caught, and that was a nightmare for defensive backs. Well, he's probably thinking, okay, say we have a scouting combine, or heck, even in 1971 if the illegal contact rules in effect – yeah, he's probably like, well, wait a minute, I run four six. I'm too slow. I, they're gonna make me a tight end, and they did make him a tight end. Uh, his early years with the Eagles in seventy one, seventy two, he kind of mixed max, uh, you know, playing wide receiver and tight end, and it probably would have just kept him there. And you know, he said back then, tight end obviously was so different because you're more of a blocker. You're not a receiver. Not everybody was Charlie Young or Jackie Smith or Mike Ditka. They just weren't that. But you know, Carmichael was just looking at it as. I may not have even gotten a chance and he probably right. And, you know, I think he said basically all those years I had to endure the physical punishment and playing the head games of wide receiver. That's what made me successful because by year eight, I knew what I was doing and I knew this was going to benefit me. But if that was in year one, he may have just never had the opportunity. Yeah, Jeff, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up at the end because that was my sort of take on it. Harold would have got drafted, but he would have been a tight end uh, in the modern game. They would have moved him to the flex tight end position where he would have been the king size receiver like we see all over the place. They would have given him a chance, but he wouldn't have been a wide receiver. On the other hand, you mentioned Jerry Rice. And by the way, I can't argue with Jerry Rice. He thinks his numbers would have been doubled in the modern NFL. I, I can't disagree with him either because – you know, you can go over the middle now and you don't have to worry about anything. And, you know, Jerry Rice is so far ahead of the second wide receiver, whoever you want to say that is. In my estimation, it's probably Randy Moss for me. But, you know, Jerry's so far above number two. Do you think he could just shatter every NFL record under the current environment? I think he would have been that guy who caught 160 passes for like 2,000 yards every year, especially in a 17. You imagine just what Jerry Rice would. I mean, the guy had 1,000 yards at 40 years old, for Christ's sake. So we know how good Jerry Rice was. And I still think it's funny because I grew up watching Steve Young throw touchdown passes to Jerry Rice. And I'm like, this guy's 36. Like, they shouldn't be doing this. He tears a a ligament and still comes back dominant. It's it's almost kind of shocking the 49ers actually let him leave. And he's I remember him saying, I still got a lot of football left in me. And you know, I'm 12 years old. I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, yeah, okay, Jerry. Like most 37, 38 year olds quit. Even Reggie White quit football. And yeah, you know, what does he do? Oh, look, I'm gonna catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl of 40 with the Raiders. And I'm gonna play them on 42, 43 and just go from team to team until they don't want me anymore. And that's pretty much what happened. It's I still laugh at the end of a lot of these great receivers' career. You know, Tim Brown playing with the Fox, you know, Jer- Jerry Rice playing with the Broncos and the Seahawks. It, it's so weird. Isaac Bruce with the 49ers, and you know, these guys were in like their late 30s when they were yeah. doing this. And 
I'm just amazed. I don't think we're going to see that with a lot of receivers anymore. I, I, I think the Larry Fitzgeralds are starting to kind of go by the wayside because I thought Brandon Marshall was a great receiver for a lot of years. And, you know, he's 34, 35. He's out of football. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Jeff, here's my last question for you. And uh, it's one you can answer, but you might not be able to answer. I'll explain what I mean. Um, if you had carte blanche, which we know no one does these days because there are still COVID restrictions on both teams and media members want to cover them. You can zoom your life away, but you would prefer to be there watching it with your own two eyes and being able to talk to whoever you need to to tell the best story. If you take drama aside, and that means quarterback drama like Aaron Rodgers versus the Packers and Deshaun Watson versus his masseuses, and you put them aside and you're just talking about pure football stories, if you had the ability to go anywhere, anytime you wanted in the next upcoming weeks, what football story are you doing? We're talking about current players, right? Current teams going into this season, not just players, but players, teams, the 2021 NFL story that needs to be told as camps open up, not related to drama, just to football. What story are you telling? I think I would want to tell the story of Patrick Mahomes. And I kind of did this last summer, believe it or not. I got to talk to Patrick Mahomes in week four of the year, and I'd love to do that again and pretty much see what a guy like him does in the offseason to prepare. And I remember I asked him last year, you know, what you're already like the, the greatest quarterback on the planet. Do you feel you need to improve? And I thought it was like a minor question. I just remember it blowing up all over the place when he said, no, I really feel like I could get better. And he went into like this – deep dive on what he needed to improve on. And I didn't even think anything of it. I just put in the story and the next thing you know, it's on ESPN. It's on, you know, pro football talk. It's everywhere. Oh, look what Patrick Hope said. He thinks he can be this. And I'm like, Jesus, that was like my fifth question on the list. Like, so yeah, I would love to talk, I would love to talk to Patrick Mahomes again just to get you know, an insight on how he prepares in the offseason, what he does. I know he has a house. I know he has his own, like, training center that he kind of just works out to himself. And I know he kind of gets together with Chiefs receivers. But I'd love to be, like, in, you know, basically on that field with them, just him balling out with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and those guys just kind of laugh and be like, man, we're going to tear up the league this year. And I just love to, you know, just kind of watch, like, a, a three-, four-hour session of them just right. talking to them, just playing football. Quick comment, and John, I'll let you get your last question. You know what Patrick Mahomes could improve upon? His State Farm commercials. Because Aaron Rodgers is better yeah. than he is. Oh, he Chris kills Paul him. Better than he, he kills is. him in that, too. Aaron Rodgers he, is the best quarterback in football. Patrick Mahomes is great. But Aaron's better in the State Farm. He's better at everything. But I would go with Carson Wentz, but Jody didn't allow drama. I want to see what Carson Wentz does with Frank Reich in Indianapolis. Just the football. You take the drama out. Can he get back to, forget about 2017, 2018, 2019, or is the old Carson Wentz kaput, Jeff Kerr? I'll tell you what, John. This is what I've been thinking in the back of my head. Was he a one-year wonder? Was 2017, like, pre-ACL, was that it? Like, was, you know, is that is he going to be one of those guys where, man, if he didn't tear his ACL, what would have happened to him? Like, Colts fans were really excited about him. And I try telling them, I'm like, look, I don't want to be like Mr. Negative here because I think he, he can have a bounce back here. But don't be surprised if it goes the same direction it did last year 
with Philadelphia, things start going bad. Like, how's this guy going to react? And, you know, it, it's, is the fresh start moving to Indianapolis what he needed, or is he just kind of like Simba and the Lion King and running away from his problem? That's what I really want to know with this guy because I feel like what's going to happen when he has his first multi-interception game or, you know, he's not lighting the world on fire or for whatever reason. I mean, the Colts barely brought in any competition for him, so they obviously know that that rattles him. So, yeah, John, that, that would be a good one. I still want to know what happened in Philadelphia. Well, I don't think we're ever going to get that answer. Yeah, Colts fans, be careful if uh, Jacob Eason starts looking good in camp. Things could go <laughs> oh, south in Indy real fast. Uh, beware the backup quarterback with Carson Wentz. Hey, uh, Jeff, great stuff. We appreciate uh, you giving us your time. Your insight is fun uh, to talk about. I really enjoyed the Harold Carmichael uh, interview. You guys got to see the comm that Jeff did on CBSports.com. No, we got a ton of Eagle fans out there that are devotees to Harold Carmichael, uh, all-time great with the Eagles, and you did a good job telling a story with him. Thanks for coming on telling stories with us today, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. You know what? I still regret this, and I said it yesterday after I was in on the Carmichael Zoom call. I'm like, why did I not apply for my Hall of Fame credential? Why am I not going to Canton to see Harold Carmichael this year? I I, I thought about it, and I wanted to do it two weeks ago, and I said, yeah, you know what? With Eagles camp and all that, I'm going to be so busy. Yeah. I'm not going to have time for that. I'm like – you know what, Jeff, yeah, don't feel bad, Jeff, because I forgot the Zoom call. Forget about the, the Hall of Fame. But you know the reason why? I was wondering no, why I seen it yesterday. Yeah, there's. A, I forgot. I, I, don't, I totally forgot. Uh, In-person uh, availability, they don't have any. So that I tapped out. So why why go if you can't talk to the guys in person? Uh, so I'm with you. But the Hall of Fame is great. You got to go. Everybody should go at least once, but it's one of the best things about the NFL year, but it's got to get back to normal. And I'll be back. And uh, we're all looking yeah, forward I, to I, it. I was like that too. When Eagles won Super Bowl, I said, you know what? I'm going to Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm going and seeing all this stuff. Best time ever just because they unveiled the Eagles Super Bowl championship video that day I was there, and it was full of Eagles fans and one Patriots fan, and I never saw a guy get so ridiculed in my life. He walked out after, you know, the, the Philly special. He couldn't even watch the second half. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that, Patriots fan. Uh, Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for coming out. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. It is our uh, buddy Jeff Carr from CBS Sports. Dot com. You really do need to check both of the articles he's put up in the last 24 hours, one being about coaching quarterback combos, the other about an all-time great in this town, Harold Carmichael. John McMullen, Jody McDonald coming back. We need to put a bow on the show here on this edition of Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. 
Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Magnum Act, guys. Put the ball on the show here on Birds 365. Damn, I got to admit, I got a smart dog. She is one smart dog. She doesn't usually come down to the man cave. She comes down right now, knowing that the show has one minute to go, knowing that I am two minutes away from taking her outside. She's pretty damn smart, my dog. Uh, not quite as smart as John McMullen, but it's close. Uh, all right, Johnny, we're going to finish. I'll give her the edge. I, we're going to finish up with this. I need a percentage out of you. I'm going to fire three questions at you, and I want you to give me a percentage answer to all three. First question is, 22 hours from now, when we reconvene here on Birds 365, the percentage chance that Zach Ertz is an ex-Philadelphia Eagle? Zero. You're right. Um, 22 hours from now. When we reconvene for Birds 365, will the Eagles have added a legit starting cornerback too, like Steven Nelson or anyone else for that matter? What's the percentage chance that's happened in the next 22 hours? Zero. <laughs> One more. The Eagles used a second-round draft pick on Landon Dickerson who was, some people thought, a guy who absolutely could have been drafted in the first round, but because of injury issues, uh, he dropped down to the Eagles, and they got tremendous value with that Landon Dickerson projection, even if he's not going to jump in and start with the Birds this year, even if he's got injury issues. Will at least the Philadelphia Eagles have him signed to a contract? The only 
quarter, only player that has been drafted by this year by the Eagles who has not yet signed. Will he be signed by the time we hop on with Birds 365 tomorrow? No, 0%. 100% by July 27th. So I'll give you some joy from that perspective. But you know what? Maybe the Eagles want to embarrass me. Maybe they'll get something done. Maybe I should bump it up to 2%. You're killing me. You're killing me. You're telling me no Zach Ertz, no Steven Nelson, no Landon Dixon. We're going to have none of that before tomorrow's show. Jody, everybody's on vacation, man. Yeah, Everybody's on vacation. Well, then maybe we should go on vacation. No, not happening. You and I are going to be right back here tomorrow on Birds 365. It's a three-Mac day tomorrow. Jody Mac. Johnny Mac, Jack Mac, Jack McCaffrey. Oh, Jack Mac is joining us. That's right. I forgot that. Good stuff. Jack McCaffrey of the Delco Times will be on with us tomorrow. Yes, Mac and Mac and Mac tomorrow. And we'll even try and figure out another guy. Maybe we'll get Landon. What's the percentage chance we get Landon Dickerson on the show with us tomorrow? Uh, Zero. Zero. I'll try, though. Too many damn zeros. Not your fault. That's that's the vacation the NFL is on. But we continue to toil for you. We hope you're back with us tomorrow here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.